came across a story the other day about a really stern-faced preacher who was preaching on Sunday in his church, and he was preaching on the subject, the tears of Jesus. And apparently he had made this statement. He said, three times we read that Jesus wept, but never do we read that Jesus smiled. From the pew below the pulpit, a little girl, forgetting where she was, cried out, oh, but I know that he did smile. The serious-looking preacher was shocked, and he glared down from the pulpit at the little girl. He says, why do you say that, my child? The little girl knew that everyone now in the whole church was looking at her, and she was understandably very frightened. And, but though she felt somewhat intimidated, she spoke with all the humility and sincerity that she could. And she said, because Jesus called the little child unto him, and he came. And if he had looked like you look, I know that that child would not have come to him. <laughs> I want to preach to you this morning on children, greatness, and the kingdom. Children, greatness, and the kingdom. If I were going to entitle uh, Matthew chapter 18, I would, I, would, I would entitle it The Behavior of the Believer in the Church. The Behavior of the Believer in the Church. And if you look at the book of Matthew, you'll find that the first time the word church is mentioned is in Matthew chapter 16, and that's where Christ said, I will build my church. That's a wonderful thing to think that we don't have to build this church here, that Christ will build his church. All that we have to do is be witnesses for him. That's it. It's his responsibility to be able to build the church. I pray that just about every day. I pray, Lord, I pray that you would add unto the church as you see fit. I pray that we would see more people saved. I pray that we would see more people discipled and baptized and become members and, and growing but that's God's job. It's just my job to be able to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. But in Matthew chapter 16, Christ said, I will build my church. So it's going to happen. If we're faithful to do what we need to do, God will be faithful to do what he said he was going to do. And then in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17, we find that the word church is mentioned again. And as I said, I believe that chapter 18 is all about how the believer is to behave in the church. And what we find in this passage is that Jesus uses a little child as an object lesson to teach us one of the aspects of living life with other believers. Jesus wants to teach us an aspect of living life with other believers. So if you read the gospel... If you read the Gospels and study the life of Jesus, you will find that, that, um, that the way that the world looks at things is not the same way that Jesus looks at things. As a matter of fact, Jesus was diametrically opposed to society. Everything that society expected him to do, he did almost the opposite. And in this portion of Scripture, we find Jesus once again removing the preconceived ideas of, of his disciples and of the society, and, and he's working counterintuitive to society to be able to teach us how believers ought to live with one another in the church. 
So what we're going to see is when I say that word church, we can almost interchange that with the kingdom because what we're going to see today is how a person comes into the kingdom or becomes part of the body or the church of Christ and how they are, uh, they are to act. And so Jesus wants us to understand how to live with one another in the context of the local body or the kingdom, if you will, because the kingdom is God's rule over all Uh, over all that have come to know him. That is part of the spiritual kingdom there. Not only does he have rule over all physical kingdom, he has rule over all spiritual kingdom. And so Jesus wants us to have a spiritual life that will prove credibility for the gospel message. So the reason you say, well, then why is he teaching us? So we got to back up and say, why is Jesus teaching us how to live life in the church with one another? He's teaching us that so that our spiritual life will provide credibility for the gospel message. He wants us to be able to have a credible life so that when we share the gospel, what we say backs up what we do. And so what are we going to learn about this genuine spiritual life? Well, first what we find is that a genuine spiritual life is marked by humility. Take a look, if you see uh, here in in, in verse 1, if you take a note, write this down. We have a need for humility. We have a need for humility. In verse 1 of chapter 18, at the same time, disciples disciples, uh, came to the disciples unto Jesus, saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We have a need for humility. Write this down if you would, maybe a sub-point if you like to do that. The problem we all have. The problem we all have. After I made the statement that we have a need for humility, if your response was, if you thought to yourself, I don't have any need for humility, you've just shown your pride. (laughs) You have shown that you do need this message. (laughs) You have shown that You do need humility. You know, there's not a single person underneath the sound of my voice, no matter how meek you are, that doesn't need more humility. All of us do. All of us do. See, we all have a pride problem to one degree or another. We all do. Now, am I going to just preach or are you going to help me preach? Okay. I mean, I don't want to be the only one up here, just uh, I need, it would be nice to know that you're listening. Thank you very much. You know, amen every once in a while, just help me stay on track, you know. It just just helped me. See, if we didn't have a pride problem, well, you know what, turn over to Micah chapter 6, because I want you to show, uh, I want to show you this in the Word of God. If we didn't have a pride problem, then my question for you is, Why would God command us to be humble? Why would God tell us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought? (laughs) Take a look at Micah chapter 6. If you're not quite sure where that is in the Bible, you go to about where Matthew is and just start going left, and you'll find it. It's it's the last, uh, it's, it's, well, it's in the last section of the Old Testament there. Take a look at chapter 6 and verse 8. 
See, we all have this problem. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? Okay, what do, he's saying, what does God require? What does God want from us? You ever, you, ever, you ever say that to God? God, what do you want from me? You're in the middle of something. You're like, God, what do you want from me? Just tell me. I want you to show me. Just tell me what you want from me. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 answers that for us. To do justly, to do what's right, to love mercy, especially when you're in a circumstance where you don't know what to do and somebody's done something to you, Instead of wanting to get back at them, to what? To, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. What, what does God want me to do? Right there. See, and he's telling us, this is what we should be doing. Why? Because we all have a pride problem. James chapter 4 and verse 10, you might want to write that down as a cross-reference for you. It says there, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. He's not saying, now, if you would like to humble yourselves. If you think it would be a good idea, humble yourselves. If you think that you need humility, then humble yourselves. No, he's being very pointed. And he's saying, you need to humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and God will lift you up. He'll take care of that. What was the first sin that was ever committed? It was the sin of pride. See, I personally believe that every, that every sin you can go back to and you can find it is rooted in pride. Because what does sin say? When we do something against the word of God, when we sin against God, what we're saying is that we know better than God does. And what we believe is that we start to believe that that sin will satisfy us instead of God satisfying us. See, it was the sin of pride when Lucifer said that he would ascend up to the throne of God. He wanted to be like God. See, and every person has issues with pride. We see this in the life of the disciples as well. We see it in their question to Jesus. He says in verse 1, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, I was thinking about, as I was studying this passage, I was thinking about it. From a human standpoint, I don't know why Jesus put up with these guys. Man, I would have been frustrated to no end. Think about it. Jesus had just talked to them about. Jesus came and he bore his heart to them. He said, gentlemen, I just want to let you know, I'm going to be leaving you. And I'm going to be crucified. They're going to crucify me. And three days later, I'm going to raise again. But I'm telling you, I'm going to have to leave you. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to suffer. And I'm going to, I'm going to pay the penalty for sin. And those guys say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we're really sorry about that. And they were all downtrodden for a while. They were sorry about that. But then, you know what, that passed. Oh, by the way, Jesus, who, since that's going to happen, we know the messianic kingdom's going to come. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Man, with friends like that, you don't need any enemies. <clears throat> See, we all have a need for humility because we have this problem with pride. But I want you to see, letter B, if you're writing this down underneath number one, the particulars of our pride. We all have a problem with pride and the particulars of our pride. It's interesting, if you read through the Gospels, you'll find the disciples always seem to be concerned with this topic. Who would be the greatest? 
It always seemed to be a continual conversation of theirs. And the interesting thing is when you study this out, the disciples were not just, were not asking who was just going to be the greatest. What they were saying, what they were getting at is who's going to be the highest rank in the kingdom? Who's going to be chief? Who's going to be superior to everyone else in the kingdom? You know what I find many times? And, you know, I'm hoping it's not this way. And I don't know of anything that's going on. I, I really don't. If I did, I'd tell you. That's the type of person I am. I'm, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a straight shooter. I would tell you, say, hey, look, I want to let you know. Our church, I've known there's some people that are vying for positions, and we're not going to have that in this church. I, I just, I'm going to be straight up. That's just the way I am. I mean, why ignore the elephant in the room? Let's deal with it. Get it done. Get it over with. Ask forgiveness. Get right with God. Move on for the glory of God. That's just the way that I, I think we ought to uh, handle things. But I see this in the church sometimes, and I'm not saying necessarily our church, where people are vying for positions. I remember that the other church that I pastored, there was a gentleman who came to me and told me, just want to let you know, pastor, I've been a deacon in another church, and I think I could be a deacon here. Number one, he didn't understand the role of a deacon. The role of a deacon is not a leadership position. The role of a deacon is a servant position. That's what Scripture teaches. And I thought to myself, you're never going to be a deacon here because you got the wrong attitude. I remember when the, the head, the, uh, our head deacon of our fellowship there, he came up to me and he said, he said, Pastor, why don't you just let him be a deacon to see how it really is? I looked at that man. I said, over my dead body, it ain't going to happen. Uh-uh. You say, well, what's the particulars of our pride? You know, you know what that is? That's pride is self-seeking ambition. It's self-seeking ambition. Pride is a desire for prominence. And the disciples were having this discussion. We can find it in chapter 16 of Matthew. We can find it again in chapter 20 of Matthew. The night before Jesus died, you know what they're talking about? Who's going to be the greatest? You know what that tells me? Pride blinds us to the, rea the reality. It blinds us to the needs of others around us. Jesus is in the garden and he's saying, not my will but thine, Father. He's weeping unto the Father. He's, the Bible says that he's uh, uh, sweating as of great drops of blood. And these guys are going around saying, who's going to be the greatest? Pride blinds us to reality. What else we find here? Just take a look. I, I want you to think about our pride. See, the particulars of our pride, it's self-seeking ambition, it's, it's, a, it's a desire for prominence, it blinds us to reality. Um, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Pride views people as a threat to us. Pride views people as a threat to us. See, pride is more concerned about your status in the eyes of the world than you are in the eyes of God. Pride is seen in arrogance. It's seen in, here you go, pride is seen in selfishness, self-will and stubbornness. 
Pride is an attitude independent of independence from God. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6, if you will, and verse 16. We have a need for humility. All of us, there's not a single person on the sound of my voice that, that does not battle with this. All of us battles with this. You say, Pastor, I don't battle with this. You ever want you, you, you here you go. You ever, you, ever, you ever argue with your spouse about something? I mean, you know, maybe, maybe it's nothing major, but it's just, you just argue about something, whatever it is. That's it, I'm not giving in. Not saying sorry this time. Mm-mm. I always say I'm sorry. I'm always the first one to say it. I'm not. That's stubbornness. That's self-will. But they always get over on me. That's stubbornness. That's pride. That's self-will. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. There are some things that God hates. Take a look at this here. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Now, you would think in there that there would be some of the biggie sins, right? You know, the real big ones, the ones that we're all, you know, that, man, if I want to get a lot of amens uh, in a church, I want to get the church fired up. I'm going to preach on hot topics of the social realm where, man, uh, uh, we shouldn't be doing these things and bless God. All those sinners out there, and they need to get right with God, and we're going to have a great time. We're going to walk out of here. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 we really. I'm not hearing too many amens on the pride issue. I don't hear too many amens on the gossip issue. But I don't see those biggie sins in there. Gee, uh, the, the Bible says, a proud look, a lying tongue. Now, we like this one, though, in hands of shed innocent blood. Let me just start preaching on the abortion issue. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But look at the first two. Look at the first one. C.S. Lewis said it like this. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. You know what he's saying? He's saying pride is treason against God. Psalm chapter 10 and verse 4, the Bible says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his faults. James 4, 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Friends, I don't know about you, but I need all the grace of God that I can get. I need it all. But you know what he's saying? If we have pride in our life, if we are people that are filled with pride, God is stiff-arming us. He's stiff-arming us. He's saying, no, because you're a proud person. You're not going to humble yourself. Therefore, you're not going to experience my grace. Well, why would God do that? Why would God stiff-arm us if, if we are not a humble person? Because if, if we experienced the grace of God when we were still proud, guess what that would do? It would feed more of our pride. The disciples of Christ, these are the men that spent three and a half years with Jesus. If they, on a daily basis, they got to touch him, they got to eat with him, they, they slept in the same house with him, they, they got to see everything. If, if they needed humility... So do we. 
See, in a world that uplifts and honors pride, in a world that uplifts and honors pride, we need to fight to have a childlike spirit. Secondly, this morning, not only do we need have a need for humility, number two, if you're taking notes, we have a need to be humbled. We have a need to be humbled. I can't help but each one, think that each one of the disciples thought that they might be the greatest in the kingdom. I think if even that they, they didn't think that they might be the greatest, I, I surely think that they thought that they would have had some superior position. I put that as I was thinking about this message and thinking about this, the Lord gave me this. And I, I wrote it down. The man who makes it his ambition to gain a position is a man who is not qualified for the position. A man, the man who makes his ambition to gain a position is a man who is not qualified for the position. I want you to see here, we have a need to be humbled. Jesus in the object lesson, Jesus seems to brush aside the question of disciples and he calls unto himself a little child. And Jesus was going to teach these men that a child was an example of true greatness. See, these disciples of Christ, they were worried about position and about prominence. They were worried about greatness and glory. And Jesus lets them know, he says emphatically, this is some pretty strong language from the Lord. This is very strong language from the Lord. Jesus lets them know that their heart attitude will potentially keep you from the kingdom. Andrew Murray gave a near-perfect definition of humility. He said it this way, humility is the perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and am at a peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. The humble person is not one who thinks merely of himself. He, is simply, he simply does not think of himself at all. See, these men wanted to know who, were going to, who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus warned them, apart from having the right heart, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. Take a look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, if you would please. Matthew 18, 3. This is what Jesus says. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus says verily, some, some people have translated that truly. Our, our, our text in the King James here translates it verily. This is a way of saying that something very serious is coming. And you know what he's saying? He's saying if you are not converted, he said if you don't turn... So you're going one way. If you don't turn and go the other way, unless you stop going in the direction of your pride, unless you stop going in the direction of your self-glory, unless you stop going in the direction of self-promotion, um, 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 if you don't move in the direction of humility, you're not going to be in my kingdom. 
That's some pretty strong language. And Jesus says we got to become like a child. I wonder why he used that. And then as I was studying, I found out because what we need to know in that time, child, children were of no importance. In the Jewish society at that time, they were of no importance. You know, in American society, the children run the parents. You know. But in Jewish society, it was the parents that ran the children. See, a child, they were of no importance. They were subject to the authority of their elders. They were not taken seriously except for as a responsibility. They were one to be looked after. Now listen, they were one to be looked after, not one to be looked up to. But Jesus flips it all around. And could you imagine how these men felt when Jesus made the statement about you got to humble yourself like this little ch- child? Now think about it. These were successful businessmen at that time. Th- these were business owners. These are grown men. They, they, were, they were former government officials, some of them. They were burly fishermen. You know, I don't think the disciples were all skinny and scrawny. I, I mean, maybe some of them were, but I, I look at Peter, James, and John. I think that they were pretty muscular guys. And the reason I say that, to be a fisherman, you know, and, and the way that they fished, they pulled the nets in by hand. They didn't have those automatic cranks. So I'm sure that their hands were, were probably pretty muscly and their, their arms were probably pretty, pretty uh, muscly and their back, they were strong and they had big, strong legs. And, and Jesus says to this little child, and, what? How humiliated they must have felt. See, they needed to be humbled and, and Jesus used the child to bring them to the place where they needed to see their need of being humbled. You know what I found, folks? What I found is that if you don't humble yourself, God has a way of humbling you. If you don't humble yourself, God has a way of humbling you. But let's take a look at letter B. We have a need to be humbled. Jesus in an object lesson. He's using this little child. Now take a look at Jesus and his objective. Jesus and his objective. Jesus had this object lesson, but he also had an objective he had a point to the object lesson. And he stated that we need to be humbled. But what does it mean to be humble? Take a look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse 4. Whosoever therefore shall humble, what's that next word right there? Himself. As this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, okay, how do I humble myself like a little child? What does that mean? Well, I want you to think about children. And he's talking about a a toddler age. He's not talking about, you know, he's talking about maybe a child. The the age range is three or four. I guess that's when they can start walking and stuff like that, two or three or whatever, so that it was able to walk. I I don't know when they can walk. (laughs) You know, I know I can walk now, uh, but uh, I don't know when that, I don't know when I started walking, but maybe... I don't know, about four or five days after they're born. I, I have no idea. But, but he's talking, I want you to get the point. They're talking about a little child, okay? So what does it mean to humble yourself like a little child? Think about this. Children have no achievements. They have no accomplishments. Children have no way to lay out their lives. 
Children have complete trust. Children are totally dependent. Children are weak. Children are vulnerable. Children are desperate. Children are ignorant of, of the major things in the world. They, they, they can't think on the same level that we think on. Children cannot defend themselves. That's what it means to humble yourself as a little child. You say, what do you mean, pastor? Listen, your achievements or your accomplishments will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Your independence and self-worth will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Your ability and your credentials will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. You must become like a little child. And so the first thing that Jesus is teaching about being humbled is that if you're not marked by humility, you'll not enter the kingdom. You only enter the kingdom. Now listen, folks, this is where we miss it. You say, I agree with that, pastor. We're talking about having, spiritual, having a spiritual life that gives credibility for the gospel message. I agree, like that. I agree with that, pastor. Every single sinner needs to come and they need to humble themselves and enter in as a little child so that they can be part of the body of Christ. They can be part of the kingdom. They can be part of the church of Christ. That's what they need to do. I agree with that. See, we need to remember just as we enter into the kingdom of heaven as a little child, we are to continue in the kingdom of heaven as a little child. I was hoping for like, Amen! See, you only enter the kingdom as a child, and you'll always be a child in the kingdom. Matthew 18, 5, take a look. Whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. So the first lesson here is that, is that to enter in the kingdom, you must become like a little child. The second lesson here, take a look here. What's the second lesson that we see? Is that we are to treat one another like children. What do you mean? There is to be a kind tenderness of a helpless child one towards another. We are to receive, it says, he says here, whoso shall receive one such little child of my name receiveth me. We are to receive. To receive is to welcome with kindness and sympathy. We are to receive one another with kindness and sympathy. We are to welcome with kindness, love, and affection. Any child who bears the name of Christ, that is the way that we are to treat them. And you know what he says here? How, listen, how we treat one another, this, this is, <laughs> you ever treat another Christian poorly? And you have too. You know what he's saying? How you treat another one who is called by my name, now listen, is how you are treating me. Well, I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. Be careful, you might not have many pieces left. How I treat another one who is called a follower of Christ, a Christ child, a, a Christian. How we treat one another is how we treat God. God says that the people are the apple of his eye. His people are the apple of his eye. 
What he's saying is that his people are the pupil of his eye. And if you mistreat one of God's people, it's like you're sticking your finger in the eye of God. You ever have somebody stick their finger in your eye or, or mistakenly you're going to rub your eye and it goes up into your eye? I don't know about you, but, but there's nothing more irritating or painful than that. And you know what he's saying? God feels the pain when you and I mistreat his people. You say, wait a second, pastor. How do you know that? You, I think you're stretching a little bit. No, I'm not because that, number one, that's what the text says. When you receive the child, you're receiving me. But here, let me, let me, let me, how about this? Remember when Paul, well, it was Saul at the time, was on the road to Damascus? Before Paul became Paul, his name was Saul. And he got converted on the road to Damascus. But when he was on the road to Damascus, what did the voice of God say to Saul? He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Why are you persecuting me? Now, wait a second. Now, think about this. How could Saul persecute Jesus? Jesus had already died and gone to heaven. Yeah, how could he? Because Saul was persecuting the church. And how you treat another believer is how you and I are treating Christ. See, the point being is that we, mean, we need to make sure that we're taking, treating each other right. Amen. We have a need to be humbled. Jesus uses his object lesson, and then he says, Jesus, an objective, what is he trying to teach us first? If you're going to enter the kingdom, you've got to come humbly. And as you come as a child, you must remain as a child. Why? Because secondly, we are to treat one another right. We are to treat one another with kindness, with sympathy, with, sympathy, with compassion, with mercy, but thirdly, what's the third lesson? Is that we are to protect each other like children. We are to protect each other like children. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Whoa. Jesus just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier with his statements. Jesus is talking about spiritual children here. He's not talking about physical children. How do you know that? It says, which believes in me? Children, which believes in me? So Jesus is saying, you say, well, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, if you were to cause another believer to fall, if you were to cause another believer to stumble, it were better for you to have a great stone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. Just to, so that you know, the little history behind this, that was the Roman form of capital punishment. What they would do is they would take a giant millstone if somebody was guilty of a crime and they, they had to go underneath capital punishment. One of the ways that they would do that would to be able to take a giant millstone and tie it around his neck and then they would push the person into the sea. If you don't understand that, for all of you folks that are from the Northeast, this is the way it is. I've got a couple friends. You know what I'm talking about. And they're going to make you some shoes. I'm going to make you some shoes out of cement. 
if you don't do what I'm telling you to do. You got it? Go ahead, kiss the ring. That's the Northeast version of Matthew chapter 18. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to cast you into the sea. What are you talking about? A horrible death. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to lead any believer astray. Okay, pastor. Hang on with me. I know I preached a little bit long. I want to finish this. I'm almost done. Just hang on with me. I'm trying, I, I want to try and help you. Remember, we need to have a genuine spiritual life that gives, that gives credibility for our message So if Jesus is saying, I don't, want to lead, I don't want you to lead any believer astray, then I think the next question would be, how, can I, how, how, how do I lead a believer astray? How about by direct temptation? Say, so, well, what do you mean? You could lead them into sin by what you say. Remember I said in, uh, probably about 35 minutes ago, I asked you, look, if you don't agree that we're doing that Easter bunny thing, that's okay. You have every right to that. And I mean that. You have every right to your opinion. That's okay. But you don't have a right going around to other people in the church talking about it. If you have a problem with it, come see me. And I'll, I'll, tell, I'll say, I love you, but this direction we're going in with that. And, and I thank you for, for your, you know, uh, airing that to me. I appreciate that. But... See, you can lead somebody into sin by gossip, by evil talk, by unkind words. You can lead a person by direct temptation to lie, to cheat, to steal, to be involved in sexual sin. So how can I lead another believer astray? By direct temptation. How about this? But then secondly, you can lead a believer astray by indirect temptation. Well, what do you mean? You could provoke someone to anger. Does not the Bible tell us as fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath? You could provoke someone to anger. You say, what are you talking about? Up here, here you go. You could push somebody's buttons. It could be failure through meeting a need or failure to respond to a longing or a necessity of their life. So how can I lead another believer astray? By direct temptation, by indirect temptation, then thirdly, by failing to lead people to righteousness. Here you go. It's not just always about the negative that, that we can lead a believer astray, but failing to lead people to righteousness. You know, the Bible tells us over and over again, it teaches us to provoke and to stimulate one another to love and to good works. You know what you could do if somebody starts coming up to you and talking to you about someone else? You could, and so that, that way they don't lead you in the temptation about you start talking about them. And maybe you do have a problem with that person right now. Maybe your feathers are a little bit ruffled. You know what you could do? You say, Pastor, well, how do I handle that when they come up to you? And, and uh, if Brother Don came up to me and said, hey, uh, Pastor, I want to talk to you about uh, so-and-so. And I could, I could look at him and i say, hey, Brother Don, instead of, let's talk, instead of talking about him, let's pray about that individual. Can we have a word of prayer for that individual right now and ask God to be able to strengthen them, ask God to be able to bless them, ask God to help grow them and help our hearts to be open to the same thing? You know what that will do? That will help lead me. I, I'm not, uh, in a way, I'm, I'm rebuking Brother Don if he were to come up and say something like that, but I'm also leading him in the righteousness. See, I want to help people walk upon, upon the path of righteousness. And Jesus said, it's better for you to die a horrible death than the cause of brother or sister to stumble. So the disciples, they were all concerned about who was going to be the greatest in kingdom. 
You say, Pastor, what's the take home? Here you go, and we're going to pray. Earthly pride, now listen, earthly pride and ambition has no place in the kingdom of God and should have no place in the life of the believer. If we take this and live it out, it will give credibility to our message. Earthly pride and and ambition find no place in the kingdom and should have no place in the life of the believer. The issue this morning, my friends, is not if you need humility in your life. The issue is what areas of your life is God speaking to you about having more humility? What person is God speaking to you about to have more humility with them? Children, greatness, and the kingdom. Do we want to have a spiritual life that gives credence or credibility to the message?